Welcome to Realm 2 of our series, This Part, Intimacy and MS. Today we are joined by Sarah Youngblood Gregory. Sarah is a lesbian poet and culture writer. In addition to serving on the board of the lesbian literary and arts journal, Sinister Wisdom, Sarah is published in Vice, Jezebel, and the Huffington Post, among others. The following content is intended for a mature audience only. Please be advised that the podcast is meant for entertainment purposes. We do not endorse or promote products. The Myelin and Melanin podcast discusses the life experiences of the hosts and their guests. Each guest that appears consents to sharing their personal story and experience. If you have questions regarding your sexual health, please consult your medical team. Also, the Myelin and Melanin podcast is not a substitute for therapy. We are not providing medical, psychological, or religious advice whatsoever. Should you become pregnant, it's not our fault. Welcome to the Myelin and Melanin podcast. I'm Dawn. And I'm Dana. We are two Black women sharing our musings on life, MS, and everything in between. You can find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Myelin Melanin. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube. If you're a fan of the podcast, please consider supporting us through our Patreon. Patrons gain exclusive access to bonus content, giveaways, myelin and melanin merchandise, and more. Our Patreon can be found at patreon.com forward slash myelin melanin. We also want to give a special thanks to our music producer, Shah Severe, for providing our podcast music over the past three seasons. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks. Um, so yeah, we are taking the month of September to discuss in further detail what intimacy is all about. We had a wonderful series a couple of months ago, or not a couple, a few months back about intimacy. It was a 10-part series, and um, we're really excited to incorporate some, you know, I guess more in-depth conversations. So um, I think all although intimacy is a big word, a lot of us adults understand what intimacy is. We have an understanding of, of what it is, that we grasp the concept, but um, there are several things in your article. It peels back layers of intimacy that really opened our eyes and made yes. us want to talk about, yeah, and share with our listeners. So uh, we're going to dive right in. I'm going to ask you some questions about it. Can you talk about what your motivation was to write about this topic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, in, in most of my writing, it has to do with sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a lesbian. Uh, that's what I write about. That's what I care about. Mm-hmm. And I'm also just deeply interested in how we talk about sex as a culture mm-hmm. um, and what we define as sex and what we don't define as sex um, and how we link intimacy to being in our bodies um, and specifically being in a disabled body. Um, all of those things really interest me as a writer, and I don't see a lot of myself reflected in 
the mainstream. Um, so that that really does propel me a lot to want to write things like this. Um, mm -hmm. Even just the act of writing an article about liking bondage and what it's like to be tied up and what does that mean to be immobile right um, as someone who has issues with mobility that's also just like the whole process the whole approach is, to me mm -hmm. is about intimacy mm -hmm. um and i i think it's really important for writers and for people to be really intimate because nothing is unbiased and i think it writers try sometimes to act like our bodies aren't a part, a part of the writing process. Right. Or our bodies aren't a part of our identities as workers even, you know? Mm. And I think like this, this separating the mind from the body is tricky and it's not something that I, I super like to do in my life or in my writing. And mm -hmm. even if I wanted to do it, it wouldn't be possible because I'm disabled. So right. for me, it, it's an intrinsic thing that I write about and it's it comes naturally to me to want to write about that and to want to see experiences like mine talked about mm -hmm. on a wider platform right and normalized yeah as well yeah so the article is very deep and there's so many gems in it and it's hard to even pick out some of the uh, most glaring gems, but there's something that you wrote that I, um, I'm wondering if you'll talk a little bit about. So in the article, you say, the media will have you quickly believe that role play is only about sex, pain, or exerting control over others. Sometimes it is, but for me, rope is a tool for crip empowerment. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. So with the article, um, I mean, for those who haven't read it yet, mm -hmm. I talk about being tied up and it as a sensual practice, it as a almost a medit meditative practice mm -hmm. um, that I do with my partner who is also disabled and is also a lesbian and is also out in every way that I'm mm -hmm. out. So to talk about bondage mm -hmm. as an intimate practice between two lovers and to talk about our bodies in that way and to not sensationalize it mm -hmm. or make it overtly sexual or um, as a fetish yes. is really rare. I think when you talk about lesbian sex, when you talk about disabled sex, when you talk about women having any kind of sex, mm -hmm. um, it can be super sensationalized and that's, not something that I wanted to do because the sex that I have isn't sensational in that way. It's sensational right. in a different way, <laughs> but it's, it's not something that it's not for the eyes of power, right? It's not for the eyes of men. It's something completely different. It's for us. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to call that out in the article that when people do think of bondage and when they do see like, oh, a lesbian is writing about bondage, they expect something. Right. What they expect is a reproduction of power dynamics I don't agree with. It's a reproduction of fetish that mm -hmm. I'm not consenting to and neither is my partner. So I wanted to call that out because the reason why I'm writing the article and why I'm giving these images of me and my partner doing these things is in 
exact contrast to what people would expect, right? right. Mm -hmm. And to call out that expectation that may be invisible or not for the reader mm -hmm. is really important. I think especially when I'm when people do this kind of writing, it's it's important not to just challenge expectations, but to make those expectations visible and kind of question why you're somebody's association with bondage and disabled writers and lesbians mm -hmm. enjoying themselves and lesbians and pleasure. It's it's sensational and it's right. not actually about empowerment or healing, um, which for me, that's why I wrote the article. The article for me is about healing. It's not about sex. Yes. Right. Completely. Absolutely. No, that's such a good point. I, we, we talked about that too in our other series, how people will tend to fetishize you know what I mean? Like, oh, let me fantasize and, and recreate some or create some sort of, I don't know, some world that that they live in, some sexual fantasy, mm -hmm. you know, having this intimate moment, sexual intimate moment, or maybe not a sexual intimate moment with a person who is disabled. And it, it it's just really, it's disturbing that people tend to like lean towards that and don't want to understand that no, this isn't, this isn't about sex for us. This is about being intimate. This is about empowerment. It's about liberating, which is a word that you used in, in the article. Um, but I, you, you further went on to say, with my body, the only certainty I can expect is uncertainty. Disability is unruly, unpredictable. It doesn't look any one way. And for many, like me, Disability is on a spectrum of visibility and severity. Pain and mobility issues affect every aspect of my life, how I engage socially, personally, and how I can show up politically. I'm in a relationship with pain as a condition, as a lived reality, as a trauma, as an idea, as a politic, in a way I'll never be with another person. Wow. Yeah. So... Yeah, Dana and I both right. said, wow, and we had to sit with that. <laughs> um, and when you think about all that we go through as disabled individuals, um, you tend to forget the lifelong relationship that you'll have unlike any other. So can you talk a little bit about that relationship? Yeah. Um, well, when you know, when I wrote that that specific piece, I had been toying with that those lines for about a week mm -hmm. because I had been reflecting on the pain that I get to choose. So, right. you know, also, you know, as a lesbian, there are consequences to being out, but that's a pain I get to choose, right? So that, so that started me thinking about, well, what is my relationship to pain? If I get to choose certain pain, but not others, what does that mean? What, how am I living with that? How does it find its home in my body? So I was thinking all of that sort of stuff, and then I started thinking about my disability and that pain is what I wake up with in the morning. Mm -hmm. It's who I go to work with. It's, you know, even in when I'm just having the most pleasure, the most fun, the most relaxed, it's always there in a way right. that, you know, it's just, it's, it's this accompaniment. Mm -hmm. right to my body I'm always with my body and my body is always with pain so mm -hmm. it's a relationship unlike any other because it's not one that I consented to but it is one that 
I, I live with and has shaped my life and will continue to shape my life and my relationships, my inner world and my outer world. Mm -hmm. So when I was writing that, I was thinking a lot about the duality of being in pain and how lonely it is to be in relationship with pain or sickness Mm -hmm. or any kind of disability. And also how it opened up my world. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I found community, I found ideas, I found scholarship, I found mentors, I found advice mm-hmm. of, from other people who had bodies and were living in their bodies like mine or were living in relationship with pain or sickness in a way that was similar or dissimilar to the way I was living. So mm-hmm. it's this strange thing where it's like, yes, it's a very lonely relationship that I have with pain and it's a very singular experience for everyone, but there are so many people who are dealing with it. You know, I think, mm-hmm. you know, especially when we think about like marginality, like people who are disabled are everywhere mm-hmm. and everyone, most people in their life will have an experience with some form of disability. Yes. And that's really, really scary to a lot of people. Um, but to me, it's also this amazing opportunity to connect um, and to find solidarity So when I think about relationships with pain and bodies, I think that bringing that to the forefront and reminding people that like, you may not now, but eventually, if you live long enough, you you will, you will have a relationship with pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And to think about what it will open you up to, you know, Mm -hmm. versus how it will isolate you, though it's important also to think about how it isolates us and why it does and what kind of barriers there are to us, Mm -hmm. um, because that's often systemic and not actually on the individual at all. But to think about to think about what what it can bring to the table in, in terms of how you connect with others and how you see yourself as a part of this wider interdependent web of humanity you know yes that I love that you said you don't give consent you're in this relationship and there's no consent and you you do feel alone in in this situation it's selfish it never gives you anything but pain you know Mm -hmm. it doesn't like want to give you any reprieve you know what I mean Mm -hmm. it's like it drains every part of you Mm -hmm. I, I love that. Yes. Um, yeah. One thing that, well, not just one thing, but that I think is really interesting. So the title of the article, as a disabled person, I love bondage. Here's why. So I think when people hear the word bondage, and you talked about this a little bit in the article, certain things come to mind when people hear bondage and rope and tying up and all those things. We know the images that come to mind when people hear those things. But really, as you unpack the article, it has very little to do with rope itself. That's just kind of a prop. It really has to do with the body. And that's really what we're talking about. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the rope is just a tool. It's just kind of in the picture, but that's not, the rope isn't the star, if that makes sense. It's like the body responds. That's what, is that where where you're going, Dana? Like how it responds to, yeah. Exactly. Uh Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you write with rope, I turn toward 
not only my own body, but also toward the body of my disabled partner. The simple exchange is liberating. And there's that word again, liberating. There's a freedom that the rope provides. What's liberate? Can I ask you, Sarah, like what is liberating for you? Like what, where did that thought come from? Just yeah, um, I, I think a lot about agency mm-hmm. and what gives me agency um, and what doesn't. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think, you know, I'm limited by my body and I don't get to choose, especially because it fluctuates, how immobile my body is. Mm-hmm. With rope, which is a tool, I do get to decide mm-hmm. and I do get to choose and I do get to, I, I, I hesitate to use the word limit because I feel the feeling is like unlimited, right? Like the feeling I'm after is liberation. Right. And, but the rope does limit my body, right? How I can move and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's this like, it's this weird interplay between giving up power to my partner who is immobilizing me and then also finding power through deciding how immobile I get. Right. So that feeling of being able to decide and being in control of my body, knowing what to expect from an unruly body mm-hmm. is a very special feeling for someone who doesn't usually get to decide. Yes. Um, right. Another piece of this article that I, I want to pull out is the fact that um, I am being submissive in the article. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think when people think about empowerment, they think about this very active process of right. doing something physical mm-hmm. rather than receiving something physical or receiving pleasure or receiving relaxation. Right. But I do want to call that out because one, I, during the you know during this scene in the article where I'm being tied up by my lover. I'm in complete control and I'm also at her complete power, right? right? I'm deciding how I'm getting tied up. I'm deciding how immobile I get. I'm deciding how my body feels. I'm the one who decides that I wanna feel this calmness, this relaxation, this healing, but I'm not the person, I, I am the person who's being acted on. Right. So I also think that's an important piece of this too, because I think when people think about empowerment and they think about liberation, they see it as this active process where they're like taking control and taking charge. And it's this mm-hmm. physical dominant thing when in reality, oftentimes it can be quiet. It can be an exchange between two people. It can be submission. It can be receiving something. Mm-hmm. Um, which for me is intrinsically tied to liberation, that, that feeling. I call it um, an entitlement to pleasure um, and an entitlement to peace and quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, that, that's completely bound up in, in my own liberation. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. I, you, you said something before I was going to even ask that... Um, you talked about control and I was thinking this isn't about losing control. It's really about, you know, you know what I mean? It's like putting the pain aside and it's like, no, I, I have full control of you right now. I have full control of this moment and I'm choosing to 
like you said, liberate. I'm choosing to own where the direction is going with this scenario, with my rope, with my bondage. And I think communication also plays a huge part, like communicating with your body, like what, what, what's going on, what feels good, what doesn't feel good. And then making sure that your partner is understanding what, where are the boundaries, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And like, what feels good, what doesn't, where to push, where to pull, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, control is, is a huge issue, especially for us too, with Dana and I, we talk about like the fact that when we became disabled, that was a huge part of, of like owning our sexuality, I guess, and owning mm-hmm. the intimate moments that we may have. Like we, we don't have control over a lot of parts of this MS, you know, mm-hmm piece of the puzzle or what have you like there's so many things that ms takes away from you so being able to like take a step back and saying no i'm going to own this and i'm going to enjoy my moments yes (laughs) yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. um but you say i will likely struggle with mobility for the rest of my life to be be restrained as a disabled person to have my mobility enthusiastically taken from me, which is kind of what I was saying a little bit, um, may seem like a contradiction. I am already restrained by the fact of my body and more consequentially by the institutions that ignore me, the medical establishment that wants to fix me, we put that in quotes, fix, or even venues that refuse to accommodate me. Given this reality, why would I choose to further limit my movements for fun? Wow. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like, because That's a lot. it is a lot. It, it is. And especially like the fixing part. Do you find that, that doctors want to fix what's broken or just medicate you? Hmm. Um. You know, it's 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 hard because I think the answer is neither and I, and both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I became disabled at a really young age when I was 21. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, I was an athlete. I was all of these things that that people prize, you know, and that doctors mm-hmm. might praise one for. Um, you know, and then after, there's this strange thing where, you know, they're telling me my life is never going to be the same. I won't be able to do all of this stuff. This isn't going to, you know, I won't be able to do this, 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 and this. Yes, I'll be in pain for the rest of my life, et cetera. And also they still want to fix me Mm -hmm. and they're more interested in this story of who I was before than this story of who I am now and what is my reality now and what makes my, what can help me in my new life day to day. Right. Um, so that's something that the medical establishment fails. That's how, that's how the medical establishment fails disabled people. Um, they are focused on eradicating disability rather than accommodating disability. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a huge problem because there's nothing wrong with being disabled. What's wrong is that we cannot be full members of society and be fully present in society. And I'm not talking yes. about as workers, as, mm-hmm. as, as, 
people who can produce value for capitalism. I'm talking about as people who want to do things and be seen and connect with others. Um, so yeah, it, yeah, it fails yeah. us. And I think that's a lot because that has a lot to do with the, the fact that disability isn't normalized. You know what I mean? Like people think that you're always going to be broken again, yeah. putting it in quotes. And yeah. there's always going to be some fix. There are, there should be some fix. And if there isn't a fix for you, then you don't need to be seen. Go behind yeah. closed doors. Or mm -hmm. that if, if you can't be fixed, then, then it's an individual failure that you're not doing something that you need to be doing. And that's why you can't be fixed. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can't even tell, I got so many emails after the article went out. Um, I got Facebook message requests. I got Instagram messages from people who were not doctors, but just people who had seen the article and were trying to diagnose me. Ugh. They were trying to tell me about this quick fix that I didn't think about. They were Ugh. trying to tell me how, uh, you know, what kind of therapy I needed. You know, somebody even told me too. <laughs> it was this man and um, he emailed me and he told me that I should be in therapy um, oh instead, of, instead of tying myself up. You know, so, so no matter what disabled people do to find their power, there are going to be people who want to fix you and want to pathologize mm -hmm. the ways that you find healing. Like I would never go to my physical therapist and say, Hey, I'm doing bondage. Like, what do you think? I would never do that because, because kink and sexuality, especially like women's sexuality, it's so it's pathologized. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not, I'm not interested in, in what the medical establishment has to say about how I find healing because I, I, I have a really good idea about what they're going to say. Um, so. And you said yeah. it best. You said with rope, I do get to decide. <laughs> I get to call the yeah. shots about how my body feels. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I think that people are very uncomfortable with how disabled people take up space and this so I can imagine you know somebody reading this article it making them feel very uncomfortable because it's like the audacity of this disabled person to write about it. you know what I'm saying it's mm -hmm. um you know people like take, yes it is people mm -hmm. taking away again people I'm feeling uncomfortable with how you chose to take up space in this article as a disabled person. Yeah. And, and how you choose to talk about your intimate moments or your sexuality or your, um, your pleasures mm -hmm. and things that make you feel comfortable in, in these moments. Like what's yes. wrong with that? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I love it. Yes. It's yes. such a good article. It's such a good topic. And we, we really appreciate you for writing this and, and, and being open. I mean, there, there aren't many articles that we could like go to, to, to dive in and talk about it. Um, and like really feel comfortable, <laughs> you know, right. in a, in a way that is not, you know, kind of a clickbait type thing, yeah. you know, very open, honest and vulnerable, um, discussion about what 
bondage is and what it isn't and how it relates to disabled folks and I think that's so important so thank you thank you for writing this yeah absolutely where um where can people find you um on online Sarah so people who want to find me online, um, I do have a website um, with all of my published works. I keep it pretty updated. Um, so that's sarahgregory.org. Um, I also, so I have the Huffington Post article link there. And then I also wrote an article for Vice about um, chronic pain and like having a submissive like bottom sexuality. Um, so if people also want to do any further reading on like how I find intimacy and sensuality and pain in my body that's another good article to check out um i'm also on twitter um and i think my my little at is s gregory 91 um and then i also have instagram i'm most active on instagram um and that's where i do talk a lot about like living with pain and like queerness and all that sort of stuff and my handle is at sinister.spinster um, yeah, I also run an Instagram page for a lesbian littering arts journal called Sinister Wisdom, and I do a ton of work for them. Um, so those are the main places where I'm active. Um, but you can also just Google my professional name is Sarah Youngblood Gregory. You can just Google me and you'll find you'll find some of my stuff. Thank you. Sarah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. I, I love your podcast. I love the work you do. It is so needed and so special thank you thank that you a lot to us it does it really does despite uh our ms moments like i had yeah. no worries <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you stay safe sarah and thank you and um we'll be in touch Yes, this is wonderful. And I'm definitely going to check out the Vice article. We'll probably like tie that in somehow yeah. and, and quote you. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah, that would be great. I, I'll send you the link too. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. I okay. have so enjoyed speaking with you. Thank Same you here. Too. Thanks for tuning in to the Myelin and Melanin podcast. You can always find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. You can always subscribe to us on YouTube. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.